Welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron, and it's an honor to host this show where we get to hear from talented educators who are willing to share their stories of the incredible things they are doing in learning environments all over the world. I believe that education can make the world better, that by making a quality education available to everyone, we can solve many of the world's problems. I do this podcast because I want to be part of the solution. I want to do something, not just talk about it. When I recently moderated a panel at the Edutech Asia Conference in Singapore, I talked about getting in the game. We can't sit on the sidelines and hope someone else scores a goal. This episode is about how you can suit up and get in the game. My guest is John Key, and he is on the pitch, making good things happen. A super talented and intelligent guy, John doesn't pretend that introducing VR and XR learning experiences into the classroom is easy, but he does show us that it's worth the effort and it's very much achievable. I hope you enjoy my conversation with John as much as I did. All right, welcome to the Education Innovators Podcast. I'm Eric Byron. I am here with John He. John is a lecturer in multimedia design and XR consultant, Swyburn University. He actively participates in developing XR content and collaborates with educators and industry professionals. Uh, John is a distinguished influencer for Microsoft, leading development of mixed reality content for HoloLens. He also provides training for Google um, and Apple Technologies. He holds an MBOT certification as a professional technologist, is a mentor, Future Lab, SDEC, and Forest Interactive Foundation. John also happens yeah. to be a committee member of the Game Development Council of Malaysia, which reports to the Academic Development Management Division of the Ministry of Education. But there was one thing in your bio that we didn't talk about. Oh, and for everybody else who's listening, John and I were together on a panel at Edutech Asia recently. So that's how I know John. Um, we met there and uh, we did a panel on learning in the metaverse that was just a blast. I had so much fun and learned yeah. a lot from John. So I asked him to come on the show so I can pick his brain some more on some of the cool <laughs> stuff he's worked on. But this thing caught my eye in the, in your bio called the Forest Interactive Foundation. Uh, what's that? I'm just curious. <laughs> So this foundation is actually one of the companies that is working on how to build up community schools, school kids to actually learn coding. Uh, there, there are different topics. So uh, when they invite me to become a mentor, I was in charge of one of the events that is uh, helping out all the fresh graduates, right? So they have to build a three-month capstone project. So that is the idea of the, the big picture of it. So I, I'm very eager to actually help out and, uh, and Forest uh, Interactive just came to me and say, would you like to be the mentor for this company? So even though it's not a forestry by its own, but there are a lot of things that have been uh, working on for education. So there are foundations that helps uh, in education. Cool. I was actually interested in the forestry side of it. I was curious, <laughs> what are you doing with, with the forest there? We do have worked, uh, we ha do have projects that work with 
another university as well as the, they're in charge of the forestry in Malaysia. So that's quite interesting because we're working on a VR project with them together. So we collaborate that uh, to educate kids who doesn't know different levels of forestry, what kind of uh, things from swamp area plants to big mountain jungle or hill, hillside uh, forest. So there are different species, so that would be very fun as well. Oh, no, that sounds cool. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, VR and XR and your experience here. So I'm also curious, uh, some of your background here. So your undergraduate degree was in fine arts. So you kind of made a transition, right, from art to tech. So yeah. So this is a, yeah. a, a curious breed, I, I must say, a highly <laughs> sought after um, profile in the game industry where I came from, right? We yeah. had these technical artists who are you know, one foot in each camp so they, they could really help the artist integrate their artwork into a highly technical game. So how did you find yourself on that path from art to tech? Yeah, I I was super interested in tech. I mean, the, in the beginning, even though I was doing fine arts, I was experimenting with, I mean, back then it was, uh, I think, Mac 2 or, you know, computers that was, it's it's the past, right? <laughs> right? So, and I was doing artwork that is basically the first generation of cyber art. I think that that period of time where we exhibit our artwork is on cyber. My lecturer was not even aware there's a space in the internet. So we were talking about cyber art at that day. Uh, we were doing flash, right? Uh, Macromedia flash, and we do a lot of animation, interactive and so on. So it became something that is really intuitive. So then I, I, I felt like this could be a very strong platform for artists like us moving from traditional Painting. I, I love painting. I love watercolor and I, I love drawing. So a lot of all this thing has to be transferred to digital. That's my first platform where I actually reach out to computer. Other than just software for editing, we wanted to make something interactive. So uh, I learned a little bit of action script. I learned a little bit of this from magazine. I'm not sure people are still look at magazine to learn, but that's that's how bit by bit. So I, I love that. And after that, after my first degree, then I pick up computing, right? So learn a little bit about programming. So those those are the emergence of things that help me to understand the logic side of it. And again, tech tech grew together. I grew up in that era where you don't have smartphone, but you keep appreciating the new technology. So it became something that I grew into and we are growing up together. So experimenting with tech is something that is it's like uh, inbuilt, right? You know, when you have an art that is on your side, then you have a tech that that is growing up together from the most non-interactive phone to something that is like Sony, then Trio, and then you know Palm Pilot. Uh, I think nobody remembers that. So, <laughs> so gone. Yeah. <laughs> so we do drawing. We create some codes and play with touchscreen Nokia touchscreens and so on. So we we create games and applications. So those are the those are the period that we grew up, and that is the fun part of it. Growing up with technology. So art gave me a platform to express myself. Uh, that is uniquely different, and we became something that is a group of pioneers. I would say at that yeah. time. Awesome. So that's 
what's really cool, and I love the fact that it highlights that people can be both. There's guys like you I have met who kind of came from the art side and then embraced the tech, and they're so powerful in what they can do by having skills in both realms. But I've also known a lot of technical people who are musicians or, you know, other yeah. kind of art. Uh, well, I was talking with a guy the other day uh, from, from EA where I worked, um, yeah. who apparently cuts gemstones. That's his, oh, wow. his thing on the side. Yeah, he makes jewelry and cuts gemstones. But, like, but you just never know, right? People have all kinds yeah. of unusual talents and skills. Yes, and I don't like putting people in boxes and saying, oh, this guy's a tech and this yeah. guy's an art. Because, yes, oftentimes uh, there's a lot yeah, of crossover. Yeah. And, and when you yeah. get these folks working together closely, well, beautiful things happen. And so – and th- this is actually part of why I wanted to talk to you too because mm. um, beautiful things need to happen, right? <laughs> and doing this kind of work, right, creating these experiences is a – it really is a marriage of art and science and, and tech. You, you can't, you can't really get there with only one side yeah. of that. Uh, you need both uh, in the equation. So let's talk yeah. a little bit more about some of what you've been doing. I'd love, I'd love to hear about some of the experiences. So you, you talked a little bit about the, the forest thing. That sounded very cool. Uh, what else have you been working on? What are, what are some of the cool projects on VR uh, or immersive? experiences you've worked on yeah uh, i think lately for the past few years we've been working about we've been working on things that is really uh, work about talk about culture right the stories of culture in our region because in borneo sarawak where i come from it's it's all about the beauty of the nature itself as well as the culture of the people so a lot of people still don't know the beauty of sarawak right so we've been promoting the culture itself. So what we did with VR itself, uh, it's, it's actually storytelling. That's, that's really the connection of all, all platform, right? All medium. So the moment we can tell a story about a beautiful culture that is, uh, in a deep jungle somewhere, how they live, what they, how they survive and what do they actually know about the traditional stuff that is happening from medicine to the taking care of themselves to reaching out to the, uh, urban area, right? So things like this actually gave us inspiration to work on games-related video stories. So we've done a few projects as related to virtual reality on different platform AR games on uh, another tattoo kind of cultural thing among the locals. So, of course, a storytelling that is immersive enough to tell something about a different tribe in Sarawak. So there, there are many things that is pretty interesting right now. We're excited to work on, on that particular area and maybe spread that story to the world. And, uh, there's no better platform than, you know, immersive platform like XR, VR, and AR. Kids love it, right? My, my experience with kids is, uh, because the, we are very, you know, we're not in town most of the time. We're not in a city area. When I go around schools, they are very deep into the jungle, right? So when I reach out to them, 
right? The first thing that we show them is this kind of project where you can combine an augmented content, marker-based, and you can play with games when you actually see them come alive. So to them, that's something that bridges the gap of education because the moment they see something that's not from textbook, they build that interest. They keep asking questions. So this this kind of cultural value can be transcend not just from the digital textbook or traditional textbook but something of a medium that we can change the world i think that our platform the new platform could be something that is great oh yeah uh, it's uh, it's amazing what can be done with some of these things but talk to me a little bit about the the process of developing something like that so would this be something that the ministry of education would come to you or is that from the tourism Department, you know, who comes to you and says, I want to do this cultural thing? And, and then, you know, how do you design it? How do you, how do you develop something like that? Who's involved? Yeah. Yeah. We, we're, we're always involved because, uh, in Swinburne, uh, as a university, we always reach out to, uh, agencies, uh, local governments and so on. Like, like Ministry of Tourism, we've been approaching them for, Many, many years. And then, uh, the museum lately that we call it the Cultural Museum of Borneo, it's really fantastic. It's filled with tons of cultural stuff. So what we did was we reach out to them if they need this, uh, platform of assistance so that we will provide this, this unique platform, uh, working on projection mapping, then interactive virtual reality, augmented reality content. And, uh, we built up a team first. That's the most important thing, right? So uh, we have a lot of talents that is being trained from the university side. So after they graduate, we're picking them up and actually pull them in and say, would you like to work on this particular project? So based on that, for the museum case, we have some uh, work that is based on visual side, uh, interactive side. So we wanted them to build content. Uh, based on the need. So we strategize, right? We look at the particular topic, uh, what will be the most ideal uh, topic that we can actually contribute to the project. And of course, there are certain limits here, especially in Sarawak. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of challenges because there's a lot of data that's not here. So we have to go out and fetch those data ourselves. Look uh, as much. For example, uh, what yeah. kind of data are we talking about? Yeah, so we're talking about historical stuff. Uh, we're talking about backdated, if the, this culture, was it documented? So right? research. So we have to, yes, uh, yeah. was it documented properly? Or everything seems to be fall into the category where you have to talk to an elder, and that becomes <laughs> a little bit... <laughs> I mean, the story flows in a different way. Sometimes you gather information, like, oh, okay, they were thinking this is how they practice something in terms of their belief, and then right. another group will say that's not the way... And it same falls, I think it falls into the same category where when tattoo was, uh, every tribe has their own beautiful design tattoo. But at the end, when uh, a game was published, especially one of our team who published the game and they won the Southeast Asia Game Award. But when, when we return <laughs> with this great news, when they check out the game, they found out that, hey, this one is not really part of our culture. This is, you're not supposed to design game that is, not related to us. So again, coming back to a project like this, we, we, we have to deep dive into the research. Even you have a published work, even you have something that is already printed out, it has different connotation, right? So yep. the, again, Very it's tricky. insufficient. 
very, very tricky, yeah. especially in terms of culture. So cultural practice and cultural value, that's, that's very, very different. So everybody has their practice. So that part is pretty interesting when we start building the content. But at the end of the day, I think the experience count, right? The story has to be told. So we still focus on story base. Um, the, the elements of detail we do put in. Those are very important. Like Borneo beats are very beautiful. Each beat has its own value. Each beat has its own color. So history. So, so you can trade lives for one special beat, uh, something like that. So those, those stories are just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. How about music? I, I assume that you incorporate sound and music into these. Uh, how much effort research kind of goes into that how do you record authentic music and sound themes for an experience yeah i think the music part it's a little bit challenging from our side i think most of it it still falls into the same loop of music that's been used for the past i don't know years uh millennial right so the sape the music player it's it looks like a string guitar and that's the core music that everybody uh, would say it represents the borneo island Soul of Borneo, music of Uyao Morris. There's a link in the show notes to the full recording on YouTube. Uh, when you, in terms of that, that's kind of the end of the music story. So that's uh, every everybody has just used that string to represent that. Uh, we we don't have we we have different uh, musicians that produce beautiful music using those kind of string and drum and we call it gong and so on right so there's a metal gong there so all this are part of the culture but again it it can be part of every other culture as well so we wanted to it's it's pretty hard for us to say this is original so what we incorporate usually is the ambient sound right the people's language uh the voice uh the way they see things the uh, say things the the way they sing I mean, that's yeah. a recording that we, we, we love to hear from them. Uh, the way they practice certain celebration, like, you know, in, in June, we, they practice harvesting. So there are different ceremonies. So those are the beautiful ceremonies that could not be captured, that can be captured on an XR or technology or virtual reality. So that is, that is the part of the audio or music that we can actually put in and we do recording uh, for that. Awesome. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, it's not really an experience, right? You got to you know, take it off the page, right? That you get static imagery or static text about something, yeah. but when you bring it to life with, you know, visuals and, and, sound and you yeah. hear somebody's voice you can see them you can walk around in the environment um it yeah. just completely changes your perspective of of what you're experiencing so, so well thank you that's i'd love to see some of that too there's a way for me to experience a little bit of that i had this thought of a, a scenario so let's just for the sake of a test case let's say i'm a professor at the university there and I am teaching a course on 
blockchain and distributed ledger technology. And I come to you and say, all right, this is just, it's not working. I'm trying to explain these complex concepts and, you know, the students just don't seem to get it. I've got some, you know, some like YouTube videos out there where some people have done some <laughs> animations, but they're either dumbed down or they're really, really specific to a particular, you know, type of blockchain. I want to create some of my own content and I want to do this in AR, VR. So how would that process work for you if, if, if I came to you with that? Yeah, I think that's that's a very challenging task as well. I think a lot of the user as well as the producer here, I mean, those who actually create this platform as well as this uh, content in blockchain, we might actually want them to think about the immersiveness first in terms of the, I I guess, XR explaining to them what's virtual reality, how users uh, can can use those technology first, and then. In terms of blockchain, we need to think about how we can track down certain information that they need. Personally, I don't actually work with this kind of uh, blockchain itself, right? So it's it's a bit difficult to explain. The reason I I pulled this one out, right, is because I I thought, yes, this is is the challenge, right, with creating content is often you're not the expert, right? So somebody's come to you and you really got to get it out of them. Right. You got to figure out what is it you're trying to teach and how does this work? And, you know, you almost have to teach me first before I can help design the experience. So they give you yeah. their PowerPoints and whatever and you start yeah, getting yeah, going yeah. through it. And, and I use this case because I specifically had this happen to me. I had somebody yeah. come to me with a blockchain course and, and the students were just glazing over. They were just looking at like, uh, I had no idea what you're talking about. They yeah. went into Merkle trees and Patricia tries and, you know, <laughs> proof of work versus proof of stake and, you know, and all this stuff and this terminology. And it was hard to, to communicate. And so I actually, I didn't do it in a virtual environment, but I, I did some animations in 2D at least to try and uh, kind of bring it to life a little bit and, and make it more interesting and engaging and, and visual so they could kind of see how yeah, the yeah. relationship of, of some of these things and cryptography in general works or private yeah. and public keys technology. So, cause it's not just about making it visual, right? It's got to teach something, right? It's got to really help you understand it better at the end. Otherwise, it's a lot of effort that doesn't really get you anywhere. Yeah, I I, I do agree with that. I think uh, the whole challenge is to actually get people to to be connected to the content itself. I mean, uh, I think visceral connection with a good UX and you, I mean, user experience is very important. If they don't really take that into consideration, whatever that we built doesn't connect to the audience or the user, then it just fall apart. So that's, that's the whole concern because most of the time when something like a blockchain filled with data and information that comes in, it, it will fall into a category where like bankers who came to us as, and asked us if you can actually provide us with a HoloLens and then you get some other interactive stuff into the HoloLens using yeah. blockchain the technology. When I look at it and I would really advise them to say it could be done on a tablet device. It doesn't have to go into a, <laughs> to show the information. Yeah. The data 
it's just projecting to you. You just need the numbers, maybe you just need the visual, basic visual. Then if that represents enough to understand the whole concept of it, the whole context of delivering that information that you need, then maybe XR doesn't necessarily be the solution, right? Certain things can be simplified and, you know, putting yeah. up on a so something platform. occurred to me there, you, you kind of, you mentioned that, right? So maybe the best use of this is often when there is a kind of an emotional connection you want to make there. If you're really going to go to the effort to do a VR immersive experience, maybe the the better targets are the ones where there is you're really trying to achieve, say, that cultural sensitivity, empathy, yeah. say, an emotional response to something because the environment is much more geared towards that. Is that pretty accurate, you think? Yeah. Coach yeah. people along those lines? Yeah. I think that's 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 it. I think that's that's the part of it. Yeah. And then, yeah, All right, I think so we you're won't touching do about VR emotion. for blockchain. Then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's still there's still room for that. I I'm I'm looking forward to see how we can actually push. In I mean, there's certain platform VR. It's it's pretty immersive. We we all understand this. People go in and they never want to come out, right? If they were designed properly. So uh, the the connection, as you mentioned, the visceral visceral connection is really really important because without that, people won't just log into a platform and then stay there. We we just need to have that information transcend to them so that the, the experience is there. That's the connection, regardless if it's art, uh, technology, or something that's complex as, uh, you know, even Bitcoin, right? So or blockchain or NFT or whichever t- <laughs> new technology that is coming out right now, we're talking about AI, uh, in generative AI and so on. There's a lot of things that people will immerse into it. I've seen so many new things that is happening in the metaverse right now that actually works into the AI platform where it amazes people just looking at how easy it is by just, you know, using your hand gesture to create image, right? So you draw certain things by using and then generate it into an AI image or 3D image. That's, that's just yeah. amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we talked a little bit at the conference about the, you know, the up and coming Apple Vision Pro and how that's <laughs> going to change things, yeah. you know, the experiences we can make there. And I know, I know you have some experience working with the HoloLens. Yeah. You haven't gotten your hands yet on the. No, Pro, I wish right? I have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, soon. Yeah. I, I hope you, you get that. Yeah, that's going to be very, very cool. And uh, as we talked, I, I think that one's going to be a, a game changer in terms yeah. of the, the tool set that's available. Uh, expensive, but which leads me to another kind of angle on this I want to talk about. So, and I'm thinking about all those teachers out there that are going, yeah, yeah, this is really cool, except we can't afford to do it, right? So, <laughs> so first of all, if I wanted to do something in my class, so I've got content, let's say that's, that's done, right? Somebody's helped me create this virtual experience. So now I, I've got to have a class. How many headsets in general do I need? Do I do kids like in groups of you know, five or six? Do I need 25? What's a typical kind of, uh, when you go into a school and, and help do this, uh, what's the typical setup? 
I think the hardware comes first. I think most schools doesn't don't really own a lot of uh, basic hardware, right? They do have laptops, then they move to tablets, then they go back to laptops. I think the the only thing that we're looking at right now for schools, uh, we wanted to give them this immersive uh, style, right? First, I need I need to go in and convince the the principal, right? That's the first rule of thumb. And then from the principal, they say they will, they will say, okay, let's give the teachers a try. So other after the hardwares are okay, an iPad is there, or there's a Google Cardboard that is available. We'll start with maybe five up group. Then we go up to. 10. So the devices will be going to be shared very quickly, depending on the topic or we major, maybe we talk about geography. So, uh, so we talk about this, then we just focus on that topic for the next few months, uh, focus on one particular subject. That will be the ideal goal so that people would say, Oh, this is an example that was given. It's a great success. Then other courses may come in. So we build on success. Don't do too much. Too quickly, yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Don't, yep. don't, don't do everything. So then, the schools won't be screaming out and say we don't have that money for that particular investment. So right. with the existing devices that usually school school has minimal, so they have the budget to buy that. So now we're talking about content, right? So yep. coming in with content. Then we need to have a group of teachers again uh, with uh, instructional designers, and of course us as a designer to to merge the idea and make it reality. Right, so we can start off with first chapter, the pilot. So what we did usually is the pilot chapter, and when the kids love it, the school feedbacks was there. Then we move on to the next budget next year. So right. then we can we we really can do more. Usually in my case, I can see schools are building up with tablets device, but they are also uh, the, the fall office people would say it's, uh, I mean, after a while people don't use it, they will say that's the end of the story. That's that's the sad story about you know using technology. You will have to continue working on it, building on it. And we're trying to engage with the teachers most of the time and tell them that you still can use this. Uh, try not to throw it away because another technology comes in. Fully utilize that. If this doesn't work in the primary five, primary six, for example, put it down to give it to a younger group of people. They will experience the same thing that you experience, but much more, you know, it, it can be in so many levels of usage. I do see schools throwing away a lot of hardware uh, after a while, maybe, yeah, yeah. I mean, they just stack it up, right? Um, and they say, we're not going to use it. So all the, the effort that we have been working on in terms of that content is just stacking up and say, that's that's past chapter. So we're, we're not going to use that. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's, I think that's, that's the key to, to make it successful in a school. They have to really see the vision. So we have to promote that. Yeah. Similar to the cases of some companies, uh, like uh, global companies, they have to bring the leaders to, to look at the vision that they really want to achieve in order to the school to to really grow on that or else I feel that the effort that you come in, every coder, the apps developer, content developer would just fall into a trap where I build it, I have published it and I 
it's not being used, right? After a while, it's just, it's just a one time, the white elephant kind of scenario. So we yeah. wanted to so, make sure that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just sorry to cut you off there. I just wanted to, yeah. so an analogy for me here, right? So in the game industry, there's refreshes of the, of the hardware cycles, right? You get a new yeah. version of the Xbox or the PlayStation or, yeah. you know, Nintendo puts out a new device or whatever. And there's always this dilemma of, um, hardware versus software, right? The hardware is great, but if there aren't games that are developed for that platform, then, you know, what am I going to do with it, right? I got one game, I get bored with that game, and then, right, I, I set the thing down, and I don't yeah. use it anymore. So it seems like you have the same challenge in the schools, right, that once you've got the hardware, to, to me, it's really about content then. If mm. I've got good, engaging content, I'm going to keep picking it up, putting it on, yeah. use it yeah. because now I've got new content that's a new experience. Yeah. It's not about mm-hmm. the hardware. So yeah. how do we tap into the resources that are out there? Because there is, I mean, there are libraries of of content that are available for these experiences, right? Yeah, definitely. I think we, we do start with that, right? If there's, there's so many apps and games and uh, available content that is for the school. I think thanks to all the developers out there, these are the platforms that we really want to use. So with that, we do think about the first rule, again, the hardware itself. If the hardware such as a mobile device like, uh, you know, Android device or iPhone device can work with the platform, uh, that can work with the apps that is available, we fully utilize that. For example, even iPad has um, half a million apps in education. Oh, yeah. That's 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 there. So uh, we don't have to keep building up things that's already there. We don't have to create things that's already existed. They can actually subscribe to that. Those are the things that we encourage. Uh, but the school needs to know it exists first because a lot of schools don't know that they yeah. exist. So that's where we come in to actually uh, level the playing field and say, yes, uh, don't be scared about this hardware and don't be scared. Don't be really, don't be afraid of using it, fully utilizing it. Even a hardware like a tablet can last you for five to seven years, right? Or even 10 years if you use it in the right way. So the education content is there and the apps won't be shifting to something that is, uh, that can, cannot be used. So that platform exists. So we try to use that as, as part of that understanding to tell them it exists. Other than that customization of content, like if the school wants something that is different, then of course that takes time. That's, that's the only thing that right. we can understand. All developers will need to take time three to six months or even a year just to create the content that they require just to present that. So yeah, I think that's something that we look forward to, to engage the school or any education department to tell them that all this is still available uh, for you to use. Don't throw it away or don't just maintain what you have. And maybe new technologies will come just like you said. Yeah. And you still can use that, but they don't understand uh, they feel that this is an expire unit or they felt like this hardware would not be usable. I can still use iPad 10 years ago to teach the same unique material that exists in that particular ecosystem, right? Yeah. To interest so, the kid. Yeah. So let me put my operations hat on. So I'm an IT guy. So I look at this and I think, all right, so I've got these devices. Let's say we bought a uh, a set of six or eight Oculus VR yeah. headsets. Okay. So now I've got to maintain those. 
do I need to keep a spare? How often do these things fail? They need to be updated. They have hardware issues and need to be repaired or replaced. Yeah, um, yeah. You've been around more of this equipment. What's the maintenance yeah. like on, on these things? I think we, we just need to know how to take care of it. At, at the end of the day, even if it's in school or in campus or university, I'm really taking care of the hardware. I do the maintenance. Uh, there has to be someone that actually look look into this and then keep testing it and try to make sure that everything works out. If it breaks down, of course, we need to budget for a new new one. And then by then, I think it should be fully utilized, right? Uh, by Maybe in another two or three years, it does break down. So we'll be looking at a new device. So we have a batch, every batch of the series of the new one and the old one. And then we still utilize that. We don't really say, okay, let's put the old one aside. So the students, like my case, if our students are using the old one, they will still develop and they understand the context of how we can push it to the old one and the new one. So every every platform is still, you're still using that particular software to build the content, to push it out to different hardware. The issue that we normally face would be the versions of the software or the version of the operating system right. uh, where you you can't use it anymore because uh, these, the this engine, software engine, right, yeah. yeah, they have a move on from there. So in that case, then we retire. Uh, but the content still exists. The things that you've done still yeah. there. So that will be fully utilized for, uh, by our the marketing department to promote <laughs> things. I mean, you're 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 thinking about the marketing strategies or branding strategies here in in a in a corporate company or or even in a university. We want to make sure that all this are fully utilized so that it doesn't fall like okay, let's retire that. That's the end of the story. We still use that even for an older company who needs to develop their hardware because the software license is still an older version, we still use that in that particular case. So people will still come back to us, hey, you're using Android 4 point, I know, sorry, 6 point something. So do you still have those devices? We still have that for testing purpose. Yeah, so that's where we fall into the uh, category where we fully utilize every single thing. Yeah, awesome. And we're talking about probably... A thousand hours of use before something is likely to need maintenance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are we talking about? I mean, uh, I think in my case, it's not really that much because uh, every semester we have maybe a few hundred hours, right? So it depends on the semester and it depends on the group of students who want to pick up the hardware and challenge themselves. So I, I would say it, it won't fall off that easily because uh, again, uh, we monitor the students, how they work with it and how they use it. They can right. play They're around with it. Throwing them. them around, dropping them on the floor. No. Right? Yes. So yeah. there will be a secret, uh, there will be a, yeah. there will be a list of things that they should not do. So <laughs> to right. maintain like, like wrestling while they're wearing it, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kids will be kids. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Yes, I've dealt more in a professional environment with such expensive equipment. And yes, you don't have too much wrestling and throwing yeah. things around. Although I worked at EA and yeah, <laughs> adults, but sometimes they do act like children. Yeah. <laughs> we, I, just I good, do right? feel it's there's this incident with the one HoloLens that we had, right? The, because they don't know how to expand the, uh, I mean, the band oh, itself. So you yeah. just pulled it out and it, the whole 
whole strap broke. So then we have to figure out, okay, we really need to make sure that things, expensive stuff like this has to be monitored. So the first demo, looking at it and trying to maintain the hardware itself to the most pristine possible. And that's the key element. And then people can use it again and again. Yes, yeah. Extend the life of those devices. That helps the whole uh, ecosystem work better. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Great. All right. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about data. Data you can collect. So <laughs> I was reading in, in EdTech magazine and somebody commented about up to 2 million data points can be collected in 20 minutes of a VR experience. 2 million data points. I have kind of two questions on that. So you know, 2 million data points. That's a lot of data. What can you do with that data? And what are the potential ethical implications of that much data about the way somebody plays uh, or experiences uh, the environment? Yeah, I think it's a big topic right now. Data is gold, right? I think everybody was looking at data now and how to improve and extend and looking at every usage, every person stuff. So I think personally, I do feel that there are certain key data that is very important to us. And some of it can, I think we, we, I would say maybe we can omit maybe that, that certain stuff that is not related, we won't be using that. So we have to be very picky on certain elements. I mean, the data itself, even from the user experience point of view, uh, from my case, uh, I really need to actually look at how much time they have been using, looking at certain points and how, where do they get stuck, right? For example, yep. all of this are pretty important to actually improve the user's experience. So in perspective of how it was built, then we collect those particular data that is very important. So we use uh, maybe 100 to 200 uh, test subjects to actually collect just that particular data. So that, that to me, it's, it's good enough to maybe to proceed to the next. Even game designers as well, we produce, we train students to actually go and collect those data uh, surveys and so on. And they work with uh, a lot of people understanding that. Uh, so that makes it the key elements to improve our work, right? I- so, well, you touched on, on something there. So, so for me, there's kind of two consumers of that data, mm. right? And, and you kind of went to your use case, right? So the first use case, I think, for the data is from the design perspective. I'm kind yeah. of evaluating, assessing the experience itself. I've designed this with the intention of people, you know, experiencing it in a certain way. But of course, you know, every time you put something out there, people don't do what you expect them to do. Yeah. Um, and they go this way and you went, well, why did yeah, they yeah. go that way? Right. I thought I made yeah, it clear. Yeah. You should go this way. Um, so you <laughs> use that data to kind of assess, all right, what am I showing them? You know, am I hinting at things? Am I, you know, do I need to be more explicit about you need to yeah. do this? Why are they getting stuck yeah. or not understanding what they're seeing? You know, so there's an assessment piece from the design perspective, right? So you can use the data to do that. But then there's the education side, the learning assessment side of that data. So now I've got the game is working or the experience is working. But for the educator now, how do they know? that you're getting out of the experience what they want. So there's that consumer of the data. And how do you make sure you're collecting the right data to say, ah, okay, by the end of this experience, they have learned something. 
that's the, the, the one that we're highlighting in terms of looking into the choices of data that we wanted to work on. Well, it's a design yeah, consideration that, too, right? The way you design yeah. that so yeah, you can get those yeah. data points yeah. and see how somebody interacts with something so you can assess did they get it did they understand yeah, what they I, were seeing yeah right yeah I, I i do agree i think the one thing is so when we look at even the assessment itself just like game right uh, a lot of people when when we look at uh, projects that has been done when we assess certain educational uh, content using a gamified style it actually gives you a, a better understanding of you know how much people actually love the game gamified learning right so those kind of those kind of shifting from a traditional way of learning a material has been collected in sufficient enough for us to tell us that the traditional learning method doesn't work so what would be the new style or the new gamified learning system that could help them to increase their learning uh, capability or the understanding of the topic. So those are, those are the things that we really track in terms of performance as well as uh, interactive simulation, maybe, and also maybe per- personal uh, learning experience. So all this come back to again, the designer, the, the person who came up with the question, what, how can we change that uh, learning sequence or the learning method, the methodology of teaching and learning, the pedagogy of learning? And I think using the right method from the data that we've gathered, especially in terms of the failing rate that we've gathered, uh, what fail, what doesn't work, and put it into a new system, a new pedagogy of learning, gamifying that. I think it's a big topic right now with the things that we have done so far, we are, we are moving, shifting towards everything gamified. I think that's a new platform, new, new way to actually engage the student. And this, this period of data has been shifting a lot. And to, to me, it's been moving and it's been alive. It's, it's been changing a lot as well. And we're still finding the nooks and crane about how to actually make a good educational game or how to produce a good educational platform for students to learn. And uh, I would say it's monumental. The numbers that we collect from all this data that can be, sometimes can be skewed, sometimes can be very uniquely we can't really understand as well. Well, the other thing you get into here, and this is, you know, it's, it's a challenge, right? Is the, um, what I would call being a techie myself, right? The normalization of the data. So let's say I go out and there's, there's a bunch of content out there. So I've got these devices and I want to, you know, Oh, this group's got this great game and this group's got this great game, but the way they present the data out of it, may not be very helpful, right? Trying to compare yeah. apples to oranges, as they say, yeah. when I start looking at the assessments from it and trying to make that case to my principal or right the head of the school to say, you should invest more in this when my data coming out, my proof that kids are learning from this may be difficult to assimilate into something, uh, you know, that really paints the picture real empirical data, if you will. Yeah. So, uh, so I think this is a challenge and, well, and it's something, you know, I want to work with guys like you on trying to create more standards for yeah. how we do this, right? How do we design these experiences so that um, a teacher really 
you know, can produce that evidence and say, okay, we went in with these learning objectives. We come out with this data that shows that these kids are getting it, right? They, they, yeah. Not only did they have the emotional reaction we, you know, were kind of hoping they would have, but we could also measure their emotional reactions and we can see this and, you know, we know what they're, you know, what they're doing. Yeah. But I think the it, challenge with this is I think everybody in education or I mean in the industry itself as well, there's so much duplicate of data, right? So, uh, duplication of various relationship of data that we collect. Then sometimes we think that Everybody functions the same because I guess when we look at studies of uh, students who are actually learning in this particular period of time, uh, when they use a platform like LMS, right, learning management system in in an online system, the, it doesn't necessarily be it's a, the best platform of learning. Right now, we we found out students don't even log into learning management system. So would would that data be you know, sufficient enough to tell people they are learning, right? So there, there's a lot of fall off due to a platform that is out of date and still you're collecting those kind of data that is saying that, okay, they're achieving certain goals and this learning system has been successful because they have, it's, it's an online platform. They don't have to go to class anymore. So there, so there's so many things that we, we felt that certain things that when we test on, we have a report that doesn't really reflect the right data that sets that we want, right? So again, uh, I think the best way to do it now is maybe simulation. Uh, in some way, we talk talk about digital twin. We get this data from a sets of simulation uh, where this could be working in certain subjects, uh, not necessary game, certain uh, engineering subjects that could actually make things a little bit better by simulation digital twin, then we use this kind to work on the gamified of teaching and learning so that people can actually look at it and maybe explore more possibilities. Uh, I think, I think that's, that's one way to actually look across all different fields of data that we record. Maybe so when you say some, digital yeah. twin, are you talking like a digital twin of the student? A digital twin of the topic itself, right? Uh, maybe it can right. be something that is simulating a virtual AI character, right? What would he respond uh, in that sense? I we're, we're not there yet, but it could be a platform for you to see which is interesting. It can be an avatar character using an AI character to learn through the process and see what's the uh, fall off from there. Or so, something that can actually push out questions that coming back to us and say, okay, this is, this is not working again. I, I do feel that it could be the next big thing. I, I'm not sure yet because this is a new platform for all of us. Yeah. AI is really changing the whole picture of things. And, and so this was another one of my thoughts, of course, too. And you talk about a high volume of data to me, yeah. you got to talk about AI there, right? And go, okay. So yeah. if I've got 2 million data points, I don't want to crunch that data. I, I want yeah. AI to go look at that data and tell me what does it mean? Right? Yeah. What are the patterns? You know, what are the subtleties of how long it took somebody, you know, to get there versus yeah. average, you know, time somebody plays the game or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. things this can mean and we can interpret. AI has that ability to learn over time, right? The more yeah. it 
go through the experience, the better it understands how and why Definitely. people do what they do in the environment. So, all right, we're, we're getting towards an hour here. I just wanted to give you an opportunity. I've been asking questions away. Anything, topics you wanted to hit on, some statement you want to make to the world about what you do and uh, what you want to see happen? Yeah, I think this is something that I think everybody is actually talking about, uh, which is artificial intelligence. So AI is the big next big thing. I'm just thinking about how, as a designer, we're not talking about uh, generative AI graphics, visual 3D. It's all coming. How designer today can really uh, use this tool to really create the next level of content, right? That's that's a very nice topic to think and to to explore. Because I myself, looking at, for example, I was teaching students how to create storyboard. Storyboard last time we have to sketch like crazy, right? Amount yeah. of time thinking about the camera angle, thinking about the lighting, everything. Today I can use one day to complete a whole storyboard just by generatively generating yeah. with a proper prompt. So the next thing would be, you know, something that we'll be exploring. Where would we be in terms of the world of content design? Uh, visual design, user experience design. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So anything else? What else is on your mind here? What What do you want to share? Yes, I think, well, one more thing that I think we're, we're actually exploring is maybe the next generation, right? The alpha generation. How do they actually learn from technology? That's a very nice platform to explore because uh, we got this, uh, every generation learns different ways. So this new generation, we call it the iPad baby generation. How do they actually learn to gain knowledge and to use the knowledge? Because we have, uh, we have a different way. They have a different attitude. They have a different, ref- they reflect differently. They, they reject differently. So they're in their, their mind, it's totally different from whatever they were thinking right now. What's good for them? What is the way pathway for them? That's kind of unique thing that I really love to, to, to find out more. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting thing too, because, you know, somebody was talking about this the other day and, and I thought, well, this is true. We had the millennials and then we had, yes. you know, generation X and generation Y and generation Z. The, Z. the pace of that change is faster, right? So the next generation of learners that the time between those shifts is shorter and shorter and shorter. Now. Yeah. So that's an interesting phenomenon too. And what does that mean to us in terms of trying to design <laughs> these things and, and keep yeah. up with, right? Not only is the technology changing really, really fast, the way people learn and their expectation yeah. of how they're going to learn is also evolving very quickly. Definitely. I think one thing is they get bored easily. So how do you tackle that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No question there. All right. Well, well, John, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you spending time with me. It's been another great conversation. I really enjoyed the the dialogue we had in Singapore. And I hope that we stay in touch and continue these these conversations. There's lots of problems to solve, but we're chipping away (laughs) at it, right? We're we're getting there. Yeah. Thank you very much for inviting me. I, I really, really enjoy this session.
I love the idea of using VR to help students experience the jungles of Borneo, the culture of hidden villages in the mountains, and getting an appreciation for the incredible diversity in this world. VR and the metaverse are uniquely equipped to allow students to actively experience things they would normally never get to experience in a classroom. And, as my conversation with John illustrated, the technology and tools are improving so fast that making such experiences available to all students is within our grasp. We just need to be brave enough to suit up and get in the game. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and share. We have more awesome guests lined up and amazing stories of innovation and education that you don't want to miss. Please reach out if you have comments, suggestions, or stories of innovation to share. I'm Eric Byron. Thanks for listening to the Education Innovators Podcast, and thanks to all those education innovators out there. You are making a difference.